Full Service Radio is supported by Compass, the future of real estate in the metro D.C. area and beyond. Discover more at compass.com. Tune into Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington D.C. I'm your host Sarah Jane. I live, work, and love beer here in D.C. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer. I continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. Since then, I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Each week, I will have a different guest from different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, bartenders, educators, to help us explore this fascinating and dynamic world. Whether you are new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So I thought it was apt um, right at the kickoff of DC Beer Week to do a show about cider. Um, Cider has been something that I have been really excited and passionate about for many, many years. Um, I've had the opportunity to explore the Basque region of Spain. Uh, During my time as beer director at 11 Madison Park in New York, I built out a cider list. Um, So I got to dive into that really wonderful, fun, nerdy world. And for those of you uh, who were listening last week, uh, DC Beer Week is in full swing. Hopefully some of you made it to Lagerfest yesterday at City Winery. There are a lot of really great events coming up throughout the week. Uh, I am partial to the Battle of the Barrel Aged at Boundary Stone, full of alliteration and good beer. Um, I will be one of the judges there on Tuesday. There are still tickets available, but uh, you can also just show up and uh, drink some good beer. So hopefully we'll see you then. So like I said, I'm joined today uh, with Sam Fitz uh, from Ancho. He is a co-founder. This is a urban cidery, and this is something that we're starting to see more and more of of different uh, producers uh, that are typically you know, at least an hour or so outside of the city, right smack dab in the center. Um, So Sam, thank you so much for uh, coming on Beer Me. It's my pleasure to be here today. So uh, for people who are not familiar with Ancho Cidery, and for those of you who are not, get ready, because this is an amazing product, um, you want to give people a little idea of of what you all do and what you're about? Uh, Sure. Uh, My background is actually pretty similar to yours. I uh, was a beverage director and uh, spent about a a decade working with beer. And uh, I also took a trip to the Basque country in northern Spain and kind of fell in love with Sidra and uh, the unexplored opportunities that cider in general presented. Um, And about two years ago, we started uh, the restaurant Ancho on Florida Avenue. Um, which was meant to be a showcase of the major, the four major regions of the cider world, Spain, France, England, and the States. Um, and that was really fun, and it, it just kind of enhanced the, uh, or it's not exactly the right word, but um, it was the beginning of a really awesome journey exploring what cider could be. And so after about a year of selling cider, we wanted to start exploring making cider um, actually ourselves here in D.C. We had been making collaborations at cideries across the country for a year, um, so we opened a cidery up on Kennedy Street. Uh, we just celebrated our one-year anniversary. 
And this year we made 25,000 gallons of wine. Our uh, cider technically is wine. We're licensed as a winery. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just making wine from apples, mostly from Virginia and Pennsylvania. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a great year so far. So and I want to take back to what you said, kind of highlighting major regions in the world. Now, for people who maybe aren't familiar with cider, uh, can you talk through those regions and kind of what those styles are like? Yeah, absolutely. So... I think the English West Country is probably the most famous cider region, mainly because we speak the same language, so it's more familiar, I've Mm -hmm. learned. Um, So uh, Hereford and Somerset and Devon, um, the English West Countries have made amazing cider for centuries, uh, since Roman times, really. Um, And so that's one of the strongholds of traditional cider. Um, Also in Normandy and Brittany in northwestern France, um, you... Uh, well, actually, to answer your point a little more clearly, the, the northwest region of France tends to have semi-sweet, really high-carb, frequently bottle-conditioned ciders that are really reminiscent of sparkling wine, whereas the English West Country that I mentioned already tends to have really still, tannic, rustic, farmery-type um, flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the northern uh, portion of Spain uh, in both Asturias, uh, which is Spanish, and in uh, País Vasco, the Basque Country, which is not Spanish, uh, they make traditional cidra, uh, which is Spanish-style cider that tends to be uh, pretty high acid and really needs to be consumed fresh where you, when you still get, like, the big apple flavors from it. Um, and those ciders are still and, also, and frequently poured comically from height uh, in order to drive carbonation and fun into the product. What is that called again? Chot? Uh, Choch Choch would be shooting wine or cider out of a barrel mm-hmm. uh, and catching it in order to recreate the uh, Escanciadora, the long pour. Um, And then the last region would be America, because in colonial times, America was the greatest cider nation that ever existed, and people kind of lose sight of that. Before the Germans came here, we were making cider like no one else had, uh, doing R&D out on the uh, frontier with new apples every day. Um, And after Prohibition, we lost our way a little bit, but there's a lot of American cider history to draw on, both in the Mid-Atlantic, New England, and the Pacific Northwest. Now, from when I did dabble in the cider world, <laughs> it's all coming back to me now. Uh, Prohibition was fairly devastating for the American cider production. I mean, we talk about, you know, I, you know cocktails, beer, all kinds of, uh, you know, wine. Everyone took a hit. But um, the actual trees that produce cider apples, you know, the older they are, uh, the better. And it takes those trees a while to produce fruit, Correct. Yeah, I mean, apple trees in general are three to five years, and cider trees are a little bit harder to grow. But uh, after Prohibition, people really looked, or during Prohibition, they looked at apple trees as a source of alcohol. They were an evil. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of trees were cut down just out of fear of what they would ultimately produce. And considering that trees take three to five years to come back, um, as opposed to beer, um, where grains abundant and pretty, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure that even before Prohibition was repealed, the brewers were ready to to put beer out in large quantities, whereas the cider makers had largely closed up shop and didn't have the resources. Yeah, and, and kind of getting those varietals up and running again, you know, and to have those trees mature uh, would just take so long. So, yeah, and I know that, you know, a lot of brewers survived by making near beer, malt syrup, that kind of thing. Uh, so way to go, Prohibition, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, and now I feel like in America you see that there is a little bit of a crisis of identity as far as what cider style we are. 
Um, you know, you see the West Coast or the Pacific Northwest producing a decent amount of cider. There is a, a, some good cider production out of New York, of course, and Virginia, and a little bit in, you know, kind of the uh, Michigan and um, areas around mm-hmm. Chicago and stuff like that. Um, but there's, I don't see a clear identity yet. I think the divide can be simplified into to two camps, even though it's obviously more complicated. But uh, cider is a term... Uh, hundreds and hundreds of year, years old for wine made from apples. Um, any fermented beverage made from fruit is wine. If you make wine from peaches, it's called peach wine. Uh, so basically the Romans gave grapes the designation of wine as the best fruit that you could make wine from. And secondarily, cider is the only other wine product that's garnered its own name. Everything else would just be plum wine, peach wine. And the reason for that is that wine for, made from apples um, is better than wine made from anything other than grapes. Um, I think it's better, but that's, you know, of course, my opinion. I mean, have you had blueberry wine? (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, So basically, cider to me is wine made from apples. And in the regions that you named, in the Hudson Valley and in the Finger Lakes and in New England, um, and even the Pacific Northwest, there are people that make cider like that the way that I make cider. Um, There's a different type of cider, and there's nothing wrong with this type of cider, but the problem for me is that it shares a name because they're really different products. Mm -hmm. So the other type of cider is really based off beer, and beer is assembled with recipes. It's made by brewers who are more like cooks than they are um, winemakers. Winemakers kind of let the natural world do what it wants to do. Um, A brewer puts their personality into the beer. They they create something. Um, And there's a new um, camp of cider making where you can make cider that way, where you're putting other ingredients into it and really... Um, putting your expression into it. And i that's not how I make cider. I have nothing wrong with that. It's just really confusing to the consumer that they share the same name. Mm-hmm. Um, if one was called one thing and one was called something else, I think we could very easily just say that there's room for a lot of things in the world and nothing's right or wrong. Um, but it's causing a really big identity crisis right now where a consumer goes out and, and gets a cider that's really heavily back-sweetened like a hard soda. Mm-hmm. Um, and they think that that's what cider is. And then they have a completely dry wine made from apples. And they're confused by what they're getting. And I can't blame them at all. We're, uh, for those of you just joining us, we are talking with Sam Fetz. He's the co-founder of Ancho uh, Cidery here in Washington, D.C. They have a restaurant as well as a production facility. So... As far as any kind of classifications that you see for cider, um, I feel like they're kind of playing a game of catch up um, to kind of give, you know, different ciders and different cider regions, you know, designations. And you're seeing uh, there is some certification kind of coming around kind of similar to the sommelier or the Cicerone, correct? Yeah. I, uh, I'm fortunate enough to serve on the national board of the U.S. Association of Cider Makers, which has been a really awesome experience for me. I'm about six months in. Um, so these are, this is actually one of the things that's at the forefront of our discussions right now. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, uh, USACM put out two classifications of cider. One is called Modern Cider, and one is called Heritage Cider. And I think this was an attempt, uh, a good attempt, to kind of uh, start to delineate the issue that I put out before. If, if both things are going to be called cider, let's, let's be clear about what they are. Um, so I think um, there's a lot of different opinions. So our organization is being very careful not to come out with like a 17-point style guide that could be ripped apart point by point by point. Yeah. So right now we have modern cider, um, which is defined by using culinary fruit or a fruit that you might get at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, and with modern cider, there's absolutely nothing wrong with adding most anything. I'm sure there's probably something that would be offensive, but um, that's modern cider, and that's really meant for the creative type that wants to see what cider can be um, 
and then heritage cider is old world cider really made like wine and so i i like those designations to start i think mm-hmm. it's i think it's a good beginning piece Does that answer your question <laughs> yeah no for sure and um I'd asked about the certification process. Is is that is that something that's kind of coming along as well? Yes. So um, I actually um, in the, am a certified Cicerone, and it was a great program that I did. And, and the cider world is very much in need of a, a similar program. Um, USACM has a program called the CCP, Cider Certification Program. Uh, it's in, I believe, its second year. All of our staff are CCP certified. Oh, okay. Um, it is, um, there are some changes coming to it, both in terms of material, and I think there's probably going to be a name that's not CCP <laughs> coming down the way. Um, so that, we're basically two years in, and there's a lot of promise, but it needs to be kind of improved a little bit, and I think you're going to see some changes coming because it'll be super important. I think you know what the Cicerone program has done for, um, for people who want it, getting some validity from the beer world, it's been very helpful. Yeah, for sure. Now, so, you know, for this kind of certification, I'm sure that, you know, you go through how to properly taste cider. So something that I want you to take us through is how to properly taste cider. Um, so we're going to start off with a little cider that you brought in. And can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Yes. Uh, this is our flagship cider. It is called Cedar Blanc. Um, it is called Cedar Blanc because it's fermented with Sauvignon Blanc wine yeast. So there's really nothing French about it except for the yeast that we used. Mm-hmm. Um, so this cider is our all local cider. Every apple in this can came from within 100 miles away. Um, and we actually buy all of our apples from farmers too. So these, these are just from orchards that are within 100 miles. It's all Gold Rush. Uh, Gold Rush is a modern apple, culinary apple, so this would technically be our only modern cider. Mm-hmm. Um, but unlike most culinary fruit, this has a lot of tannin in it. Um, so we find that it's just a really amazing apple to make our flagship with. So to, to taste cider, to, to you know, it's not going to be any different than beer. We're going to start by smelling. So in the nose, I get classic Sablanc um, notes, esters and phenols from Sablanc East. Um, this cider to me is basically a baby Sauvignon Blanc made with apples instead of grapes. So there's no sugar in this at all, zero Mm -hmm. grams. Um, we, it obviously starts with sugar and we ferment it completely dry. I think when you first take your first sip, you're caught almost off guard by how dry it is. Yep. It's almost minerally from the from the astringency, mm-hmm. um, and then over time the acid comes out first. Um, Gold Rush does have a lot of acid, like Sauvignon Blanc wine grapes, actually. Um, and so for a while, acidity is like what really grips you. Um, and then over time, I find that this cider starts off subtle, and as you get sip by sip down, you start to experience the tannin that lingers in the back, which mm-hmm. is what really sets this aside from other ciders in can is that there really is a lot of tannin to it. Um, and I think the other thing too that really builds is it doesn't start that appley. Like, it almost starts very wine-like. Yeah, it really and does. As you get, as you kind of get accustomed to the dryness and the perceived sweetness starts to build, mm-hmm. um, you start to get this fruitiness, this, like, green apple fruitiness that really comes out at the end. It almost surprises you. Yeah, the very end. And I'm noticing also it's not, you know, super, super clear. This is, is, a, little, is a little cloudy. Yeah, so we don't filter. We don't pasteurize. We, don't, mm-hmm. uh, we, we will sulfite very minimally. Um, but our cider, um, our process is comically simple. Um, we get really good juice, we ferment it dry, and that's about it. Um, a couple, our, our cider maker, Greg Johnson, is really talented. Mm-hmm. Um, so with our simple system, not trying to overdo too much, um, we make one or two really carefully planned transfers. 
Um, everything is temperature controlled and we crash our tanks on the right day and we make a single transfer to get it off the leaves, which really helps with the, um, you know, preventing too much cloudiness. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want our, we want all the flavor in there. And every time you filter, even if it's a minimal amount, you're just taking flavor out with it. And so you have this, I'm sure you have this on draft at your, uh, restaurant as well as your, uh, production facility where you do have a tasting room, right? Yes. Yeah, so the restaurant and the tasting room are both open to the public. Um, this product, Cedar Blanc, is in cans and draft. We have about 50 accounts in D.C. that have this on draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give a, a shout out to Saltline, who is selling a very large amount of our uh, cider right now. But this is in kegs all over the city. I mean, Saltline, that's, I mean, now I was going to ask you about pairing for this. Oysters. I mean, yeah. This, oysters with this? This cider was made for oysters, actually. We're actually, uh, that's too much of a tangent, but. No, let's uh, do it. <laughs> I was going to say, we're, we're starting to grow some Gold Rush trees on oyster shells. Um, mm. uh, apple trees need a high pH, and so if you're a gardener in this area and you deal with anything with high pH, you might add lime or calcium to your soil, and an oyster shell is really no different, so it's really just about the story. Um, but we're starting to amend soil with oyster shells to go to grow the trees that make this cider because this cider is the perfect pairing for oysters. It's absolutely incredible with oysters. Um, it's also the perfect pairing for pork, steak, or like anything. So it makes my <laughs> life super easy. I just show up to any dinner party with Cedar Blanc and we're, we're in we're, we're good, pretty good, good shape. To go. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we'll be right back with uh, Sam Fitz on Beer Me Radio, full service radio, recording live at the Line Hotel. back to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recording live at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm sitting down with Sam Fitz of Ancho Cidery here in Washington, D.C. Nothing better to kick off D.C. Beer Week than a cider show, which I absolutely love. Um, so you were talking, you got a little nerdy there for a minute about <laughs> the production of cider, which I really appreciate. Um, but for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with a lot of these terms, I think, I mean, honestly, when I was first learning cider, the best thing for me to do was to actually go to a cidery. And at the time I was living in, uh, the Hudson Valley. So I was incredibly spoiled. I had my pick, pick of the litter, you know, like anything, uh, I wanted to learn. I was in a really good location, but for people who maybe aren't in the Hudson Valley, um, where would you recommend that would be a good place to kind of see the actual production and be able to ask questions as far as, you know, each process? Um, so here in D.C., we have four cideries, technically. Ancho is two of them at the locations I mentioned. Uh, so, of course, please come see us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we also have Supreme Core, um, which opened in Ivy City, which would be another urban producer. Um, they make modern cider and their stuff's great, so I would recommend going down to see them. And then there's also another uh, cider pub that makes their own cider called Capital Cider House that opened on Georgia Avenue. Uh, the Washington Post last week actually did a write-up about how D.C. is becoming a, um, like a district of cider, um, which is actually a term that we're trying to push a little bit. So I would say, first and foremost, if you're in D.C., you're living in a town right now that's going under um, a cider renaissance, and I would go see your local producers. 
Um, but after that, uh, you really need to take advantage of being in, the, in one of the greatest uh, cider regions in the country, really. Uh, Virginia is a fantastic place for cider. Mm-hmm. Um, Castle Hill, Bluebee, Potters, um, Albemarle um, are all fantastic cider producers in either the Charlottesville or the Richmond areas. Um, yeah. If you're going to go do a Virginia wine tour, definitely include a uh, cider producer. Um, so I think that those are some of the best trips to make. You could also go out to Frederick, Maryland to Distillery Lane Cider Works. Um, I think the advantage of these producers outside of the city is that they actually have orchards. And as much as I love Ancho, it is pretty nice being able to see apple trees and apples when you go to a cidery. Um, and it's interesting to try the uh, varietals that are meant for cider. Absolutely. You know, not just the fruit that you would typically see at a grocery store. Yeah, I think... I think for that, you should just go to Ancho because we have 24 draft lines and we frequently will put on ciders that we don't necessarily think necessarily make a great finished product, but they're mm-hmm. a single varietal. Um, so like the mid-Atlantic varietal, the one that you can grow in your backyard is called Harrison. Uh, and on its own, it's interesting. Blended into something, it makes an amazing cider. But if you want to really see the essence of like a true cider apple from our region, uh, you should drink straight Harrison. It's a cool experience. Oh yeah. That, no, that sounds awesome. Now, um, kind of, you know, broadening the radius of that, what are some of your favorite cider producers worldwide that you, you know, have either visited or you really want to visit that if somebody has an endless amount of money, they could just jet over there? So internationally, um, Tom Oliver in England, I think, is probably the most uh, renowned cider maker. I've, I've gone over there twice. We make some cider with him. Um, if you can get to the English West Country, it's idyllic. It's um, romantic. It's fun. Um, I would go there. There's like, I don't even know if they call it the cider route, but a lot of these cideries are just like sheds with a bunch of guys drinking cider out of buckets. And it's like a really awesome experience. <laughs> so if you can go to the English West Country, to Hereford or Somerset, um, just go to any cidery. Um, if you want to go to Normandy and do like the the ultimate cider trip, they have um, they have a, an official cider route where you can spend two days just going uh, from cider to cider, eating cheese and drinking cider. Um, that's a great. That's I did the dream. I did my honeymoon there. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but you know, I will I will say that we have this uh, basically from Southern Virginia up to the Finger Lakes is kind of the the Appalachian. Um, topography and cider makers in that region are just really exceptional I I haven't been myself but I really want to take a cider trip to the Finger Lakes Mm. um, which is kind of the top of that region and the ciders that I've had at the Finger Lakes are just absolutely incredible Um, and I do know that five or six of the best producers up there came together and opened something called the Finger Lakes Cider House um, which is one entity to serve all of their cider Um, and I think if you're going to be in that region that would be a no-brainer to stop by for sure. I actually am a little spoiled. My, my husband is from Rochester, so I got to do a little vacation up in the Finger Lakes this, this summer, and it's absolutely stunning. So from here through probably November, you can probably go up there and kill two birds with one stone, go look at some foliage and yeah. be one of those leaf peepers. <laughs> uh, so you had mentioned that you had done some collaborations, and I'm noticing, you know, when I see your cider on draft at a couple different areas you either do like a special cider for that restaurant or you've done collaborations before what are some that you've been really excited about so we we used to do collaborations where we would go to cideries and we would taste their stock and we put together our own blends and and that's how we had product before the cidery opened Um, now the way that we do collaborations with other cideries is we go to the cidery 
we make a cider with them and then we ship it to DC and then we blend it with a cider that we made. Okay. So actually the second can that I have here, maybe this is an appropriate time. No, it's perfect. Um, this is a cider. Uh, Snowdrift is one of our favorite partners in Washington state. Uh, they grow a lot of fruit for us and they also make awesome cider. Uh, so this cider is half traditional cider fruit, uh, mm-hmm. specifically Dabinet, Yarlington Mill, Roxbury, Russet, and Kingston Black that was grown in Washington state and fermented there. And then it was shipped over here and blended with our Gold Rush. Um, so now this is how we're doing collaborations, mixing mid-Atlantic fruit with fruit that we can't get. Um, nice. So that's transcontinental, which is in cans right now. I mean, and this is vastly different. The color is much rich. It's super rich, super golden. There's so a lot more fruit on the nose. Our, our philosophy is apples only. And the point of that is that by being only putting apples in our cider, we get to see these really broad differences. Um, the cider is not acid forward. It's very tannic. Um, it would hold up to maybe like a skin contact Georgian wine or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just completely different. And if you don't like it, then we have, you know, other ciders that are really different. Um, but this is, a, this is the way that we collaborate with other cideries. Um, I think you were talking about some of the restaurant things that we do. And, and those are a lot of fun because cider is really stable. So when we're finished a fermentation, we'll store a lot of product, just like a European winery would. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can have a buyer from a restaurant come by and taste through all the different stocks that we have. And then they can put together their own blend that we then keg and send to them. Uh, so the first one that we did was with Maidon. Um, Maidon did a really rustic cider that we pulled out of sherry barrels. We have these sherry barrels that we bought from Harith and uh, Saeed from Maidon came up and tasted through all the stocks and said, man, this one barrel is so good. I want my cider to taste like that. So we kind of put this blend together just for him. And now that's on draft only at Maidon. It's a still funky rustic cider. Um, that was the first one. And now we're doing the same with Salt Line. I believe we're re- releasing that on September 6th. Um, but for them, um, they picked all stock that was made from apples, either from New England or Mid-Atlantic, mm-hmm. because their whole uh, story is about oyster wars between New England and Mid-Atlantic. So yeah. basically, we took the apples that are indicative of both region and made a cider just for their restaurant. And it's just a really, I mean, for me, it's a great way to drive sales. Um, but I also wind up making products that I've never had before. You know, both instances with both uh, Saeed from Maidan and Donato from Saltline. They wound up making ciders that I've never had before, and it was awesome. It was really cool. Yeah. So, and for those of you just tuning in, uh, I am talking with Sam Fitz. He is the uh, co-founder of Ancho Cidery here in Washington, D.C. So, something that I noticed when I was in the process of building this cider list many moons ago, uh, you know, I had this amazing uh, team of sommeliers at 11 Madison Park, and um, while a lot of them were interested in cider, none of them wanted to build out this list. And I find that as a, you know, the wine world doesn't quite embrace cider in, in the way that I feel like they should, because cider is produced by fruit. Like you said, it is a wine. And the effort that it takes, the amount of labor, um, the cost that goes into it, uh, it it's, it's closer to a wine. At the same point, though, oftentimes you see whoever's in charge of the beer is more or less also in charge of the cider. And cider kind of gets lopped in with beer. And when you see cider on sale, uh, you know, especially in a large format bottle, um, you know, it's hard to sell. Um, It's hard to get people excited about it. And more and more, I am seeing cider in cans. And I feel like cider is starting to embrace their, all right, fine, we're lopped in with beer, Let's just run with it. Yeah. But 
I'm, I'm nervous that, you know, you could either, you know, risk on losing, you know, the, the quality of it, um, missing out on some of that to kind of, you know, play into those palettes. Um, you know, what are you, what are your thoughts on kind of the, you know, wine versus beer world for cider? Well, I mean, every, you're, you're completely right. And, um, I think a lot of beer people are afraid of wine because you feel uncomfortable with terminology that you don't know, or like getting into wine is intimidating until you Yeah, have, it's scary, man. <laughs> until you have a baseline, you just like don't even want to be in the room. And so beer people tend to not be very interested in wine and, um, wine folk, um, I probably for the same reason that beer folk are intimidated by wine. Once wine people become, you know, quote unquote initiated into the wine world, then it comes with this like maybe snobbiness where that's all that they want to talk about. So I think that's why cider is excluded for them. It's not part of this club that they worked hard to get into, um, even though it tastes a lot like wine and you can use the same terminology. It's like it's less, you know, the wine world is about knowing everything, whereas cider right now is about figuring out what you're supposed to know, kind of. Um, So I think that's why wine people aren't that interested. And then on the flip side, uh, it has been relegated to the beer world for a while. You know, a lot of the good beer bars all have the obligatory cider line. Mm -hmm. And I think what's starting to happen is that beer people are starting to find cider more accessible in terms of like um, entry points into the profession. So now we have beer people that for 10 years have just been running a cider line because they felt they had to. Now they're starting to say, you know what, this isn't that uncomfortable. Like, I I can do this. I'm I'm interested in this. Um, so I, our philosophy is make wine, sell beer. And the reason for that is that we want to make the best cider that we can, which means that we need to be making cider like wine. But if we want to have any chance of selling any volume of it, we really need to appeal to the beer crowd. And for me, that means putting all of our cider in cans, as you mentioned. I really mm-hmm. think that cans are uh, the future of cider. Um, a lot of it has to do with the ABV. You know, a beautiful bottle of cider in a 750 that's $30, I would drink it, but it's, you know, usually only 7%, and the consumer is just not interested in that. Um, I think that putting cider on draft and in cans is really the future of selling cider, really, regardless of what type you want to sell. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like you can still keep some nerdy stuff in bottles, you know. So what, the way that we're going to approach this is we're moving all of our products to cans. We just bought a canning line. We're opening a new facility. We're going to have 10 cans in the market next year. 10 oh, wow. cans, all zero grams of sugar, all apples only, all tasting completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, all cans. And then to fill our need for what you just said, we're, without any background whatsoever, we're going to start doing Method Chaminois R&D. So we figure if we're not going to bottle anymore, let's bottle like the best thing we could ever make. And so we're basically just going to take all of our products and do 10 to 100 bottles Method Champenoise and see what we like and if we can get any good at it. And then maybe three or four years down the line, there will be a a high-end line of Ancho ciders that are all uh, the best cider that we could ever make that we'll never make any money off of. But if you're out there and you buy a bottle, you'll enjoy it quite a bit. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see that. And I appreciate the honesty of, <laughs> all right, we're going to just, you know, give this a whirl. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, is there any, are there any exciting events coming up uh, for Ancho or any, you know, uh, cider things to bear in mind? And of course, you know, listeners definitely check out uh, the ciders at different restaurants in D.C., uh, the Salt Line. Um, and also you can buy the ciders at, I know, H Street Beer Cellar. Uh, has it? Yeah, Craft Beer Cellar, Whole Foods, Odd Provisions, Glen's Garden Market, Yes Organics, they all have our cider. If they don't have our cider, you should definitely tell them that they should pick it up. Um, <laughs> it's available all over D.C. 
Um, we did just start distribution um, nationally. We had an event this week in Nova Scotia and Halifax. We had sent 16 kegs up to a, bar, a beer bar up there, Bar Stillwell. That just ended, which was pretty cool. Very cool. Um, and then this week we're launching distribution in Portland, Maine. So I'll be up there doing a bunch of events with my friends up there. Um, and next week we have an event in Fargo, North Dakota, where we just launched distribution. Um, <laughs> so that, if you're traveling, uh, keep your eye out for Ancho. We're in eight states now and growing. Um, but locally, we are participating in Brewers on the Block on Saturday, uh, which is a DC beer event, DC mm-hmm. Beer Week event at uh, Union Market with Suburbia. Um, so I, as from what I've never gone to that event, but I think it's a lot of fun. It's pretty much the local breweries and cideries uh, hanging out at Union Market. So we'll be there on Saturday. Excellent. Well, definitely get some intro uh, where you can. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recording live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. We're going to take a little break next week, uh, but we'll be back in September. Thank you all very much.